just such a sense, isn't there, of God's presence with us today. And so much has happened in this last 45 minutes or so. And what I want to do just for the next 25 minutes, 20 minutes, 25, is just to talk to you about the next in our kind of series. And we're looking at this whole image here going beyond the wall. And the phrase comes from the movie, the TV series Game of Thrones. If any of you watched that, I'm not recommending it. Okay, let me just get that clear. I've been burnt on that one before. But Game of Thrones is a fantasy kind of drama thing. And there's an area of the country or, the, or of the, the world of this place which is called Beyond the Wall. And, and it's a wild place. It's untamed. It's uncharted. People don't know what really goes on there. The only phrase they know is that we don't quite know what's out there, but it's where the free folk are. And this whole idea that actually that's what God would want for us to live out there, you know, to go beyond the walls of our own restrictions, beyond the walls of our experiences, to live in freedom. That's what God wants for each and every one of us. And uh, as a church, we've been looking at uh, breaking through the wall, uh, okay, which we've done really, and we really believe that that's a prophetic thing about the future. But it's no good just breaking through if you're not then going to move beyond it. So we could break a hole in a wall and look at what the land looks like and actually not go beyond it. But what we believe God is saying to us is that we must be people and we must be a church that don't only break through a wall, but we move beyond the wall and we go the other side of it. And it may be a little bit wild and a little bit uncharted and a little bit untamed, but it's where the free folk are and that's where we want to be. So this is week three in the series. We had an introduction, then we looked at going beyond the family last week, which I know was really helpful, looking at adoption and fostering. That's a very different thing, but it's really important that we go beyond the safety of our own unit, you know, to look big and beyond that. And today we're going to look at something which I want to call Beyond the Thing. And this came to me as we were singing here in church three or four weeks ago. And just this phrase came, Beyond the Thing. You might think, what on earth is that about? Well, the thing is the thing that is your thing that might not be my thing. That makes a lot of sense now, doesn't it? Does that say? It's something that's happened to you and the thing that's happened to you has caused you to build a wall And it's that one thing that you think, you know what, if it wasn't for this one thing, then I could go beyond the wall, but I can't because this one thing is the something that keeps restricting me. And I want to boil it down to another word, and I think the thing, whatever it is, actually results in disappointment. And we all have disappointment, and your disappointment might be different from mine because your thing is not my thing and my thing is not your thing. But the disappointment that comes in life can be a wall that we can't move beyond. And I said, I was chatting to someone a few weeks ago who said, it's been really helpful looking at breaking through the walls. And they said, there's a wall that God has broken down in me, 80%. It's gone down 80%. Now, my prayer for that person is that God will take the other 20% away. But if he doesn't, my prayer is that that person would go beyond it anyway. Because sometimes we wait for everything to be just so and everything just right before we move beyond it. And many of us in this room, you are carrying disappointment through something that's happened in your life. And you think, if only that thing hadn't happened, then I could move beyond the wall. Then I could be free. And I want to say, it is possible to live beyond the thing. Amen? It is possible to live beyond the thing. I don't know what caused that disappointment. Maybe, maybe the death of a loved one. You know, as we approach Christmas time, that gets really hard for many of us. I understand that. You know, and the disappointment of that. And we think, if only, I can't get beyond this thing. I just can't seem to live beyond the disappointment of the death of a loved one. Maybe the breakup of a marriage or a relationship. Maybe the betrayal of a friend or the loss of a dream or of a job. Maybe being overlooked for something. 
You know, you know, they got it and I didn't. Why did they get it and I didn't? And that disappointment, that thing has become a wall of disappointment for you and you just can't seem to get beyond it. Maybe a conflict with someone, maybe a bad experience, even in church. And you come to church, but you say, do you know what? Because of this bad experience, this thing that happened, this wall of disappointment, I can never move on. And what we do, what we do is we almost speak to ourselves phrases which are like chains around our life. And we say things like this, we say, um, we say things like, well, I will never again, I will never do this again because of that, or, or I can't until, you know, I can't move on until this is sorted out, or, you know, until, until the, the pain of this disappointment is gone, I can't step forward. And the problem is, we stay behind the wall forever, where God is calling us to live beyond the wall. It is possible to live beyond the thing. And there's a verse in Proverbs 13, verse 12, well-known verse. says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The message says, unrelenting disappointment leaves your heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So there's the recognition that disappointment affects your heart and it creates a wall, heart sickness. But it is possible to live beyond the thing. Amen? It is possible to live beyond the thing. And um, this came home to me powerfully last week. Andy, our youth pastor, and Pete um, from Faith Trust, myself, we went to Albania again. And, and can I just say, you, you, you know, often we as a church and me, we go off to these other countries. You think, what on earth are they doing? You know, well, they just go on holiday, don't they, all the time? And seriously, it's not a holiday, okay? But you might think, you know, why do they go? And, you know, your prayers and your giving and your release of us, okay, does some amazing things that maybe you'll never get to know about. We don't really know what we're doing half the time, anyway. But, 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 but I want to just say to you, seven years ago, you released us to go to Albania. We went with our Bulgarian friends. We started a national youth event, the first national youth conference in Albania. Okay, now seven years later, there were 250 young people at this conference representing five countries in the Balkans. Okay, that's pretty amazing. There was a group there from Montenegro, very small country of 650,000 people. That's still like Birmingham and beyond. And there was a small group there, and I got to know some of these guys, and I was chatting to one at lunchtime. And in the restaurant where we were, there was 250 Christians having lunch together in a restaurant. Do you know what they said to me? I said, what's the church like in Montenegro? This is what she said. There are more Christians having lunch in this room than there are in my country. And I thought, say that again. She says, there are more Christians having lunch in this restaurant than there are Christians in my country. And there was this small group from Montenegro who'd come to Albania and were part of that. And then at the end of the conference, I just felt it right to say, right, we're going to get those guys in the middle. And we all of these 250 people from five Bolton countries and many other countries, Americans and Brits and all other people, we gathered around that and we prayed that God would go with them as they went back to that country. You're a part of that. Okay, when you pray and give and release us and other people to do that, you are a part of that fruit really overhanging the walls out there in those kind of countries. So I want to say that just to, just to encourage you and give you a little window into that. But the first two days we were there, before the youth conference, we went up to the northern part of Albania, a town called Skodra. Many of you know the story. I've told the story. That part of the world is a strange part of the world. It's where the blood feud exists, where basically if, if, if something happens and you kill someone in my family or tribe of people, then I'm going to do the same to you. And it goes on and on and on and on. And if I was to tell you the stories, it would curdle your hair. I mean, it's just, it's just, it would curl your hair. It's amazing. You'd think I, wasn't, you'd think I was lying. You wouldn't think that it was true. And we went up there uh, with a friend of mine, Eleanor, and uh, eight years ago when we first went to Albania, I met her and her husband, Tani, 
And Tani's uncle had killed somebody. And so their whole family were in the blood feud. And cut a long story short, four years ago, my friend Tani was shot dead at 1.30 in the afternoon as he left church to go and pick up his son from school. And he was shot and wounded. And then he was shot in the head and finished off. And then my friend Eleanor basically has become the pastor of the church, even though she's the only woman pastor in that whole region. They just don't believe in women in leadership at all. It's incredibly oppressive culture. And as we went there, she, she, uh, she took us there and we went and did a couple of meetings in the church just to encourage this small but brilliant church. And then we went visiting some families who've all been locked in their homes because of the blood feud. And it came home so stark to me how sometimes things happen in your life and you can't move on or you won't move on. This is the extreme end of this spectrum, okay? And actually, we were told about a family that we were about to visit. And it says, I need to, she says, actually, the man in the household, recently, he beat his son with a Kalashnikov rifle. His teenage girl stepped in to prevent him from killing him. She says, but it's all right. He won't be there. We'll just see the mother and the kids. We're there. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. But as we walked into the house, he was there. Okay. Me and Andy and Pete are looking around for a Kalashnikov. Do you know what I mean? But we sat down on the settee and we're chatting to him and we're chatting all through translation and everything and everything's fine and we're a little bit nervous. And then he looked over and he said, I've got some homemade rakia. Would you like some? Now, rakia is about 85% proof and it was 10 o'clock in the morning. We went, yes, please. Yes, please. We're not stupid. We don't want to be beaten with a Kalashnikov. Okay. Although I did drink it too quick and I thought, if I stand up now, I'm going to fall over. So... But then we went to some other families and we, and we heard some amazing stuff and just some saddened stuff about how people cannot move on, cannot forgive, cannot let go. The thing that's happened to them becomes a life-defining thing. We heard of one family where 50 men in that whole extended family have been killed in the blood feud. There's two men left. I heard another story of a lady who says that her father was, uh, a father was killed when he was 60. The other family waited 32 years till another man became 60, then they killed him. You would not believe it. And yet into that situation, my friend Eleanor, as a female single woman now, a widow with two kids, brings hope and life. And here's a picture of what happened just this last week. That's a church filled with those people. All of them are families who are in the blood feud. And she brings them in and she says, you can move on because God has forgiven us. And I can forgive the people who killed my husband because God has forgiven me. So can you. That's powerful, isn't it? And there's another picture of Eleanor with, with one of the ladies there. Just bringing hope and life and some food and some help into those situations. Because it is possible to live beyond the thing. But what I want to do this morning is just to take you to the Old Testament, to just a, one of my favorite stories. I've spoken on it here before, I know. But I want to just read through it. Uh, the words aren't going to come up because it's quite a long scripture, but I'll read through it. And then I'm going to bring out just a couple of thoughts about disappointment. And I think one of these characters will resonate with you. You'll say, oh yeah, that, I, I get that, or I get that. One of these two will, will resonate with you. Here's the story. It's about Jacob, who's looking for a wife, and he ends up in a house of a, a guy called Laban. And he says this, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. I love the Bible. The name of the elder one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. So the Bible says, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, what that really means, okay, now the name Leah literally means cow, okay, in the original language, and the name Rachel literally means you, as in E-W-E. E, yeah, female sheep. So literally what the Bible says is that Leah is the weak-eyed cow, Rachel is a lovely ewe. Basically, Rachel's hot, okay, okay, in our modern things. 
So you've got this Leah who, who hasn't been born with a lot, really. That's all the Bible can say. So she's got weak eyes and her name means cow. It's not a lot to go on. And yet Rachel seemed to have got it all, doesn't she? And then funnily enough, it says Jacob was in love with Rachel. Really funny that, isn't it? Like he, he's obviously a sensitive man who isn't going to be bothered by external appearances. No, he is. He goes for the hot one, okay? And, and he says, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel, the hot one. Laban said, that's my words, not the Bible, okay? Laban says, <laughs> Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. It's a loving father, isn't it? Uh, Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. It's beautiful, that, isn't it? There's no romance in here in this place at all. That's beautiful. <laughs> he will work seven years for, for the hand in marriage of this woman. That is amazing. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, weak-eyed one, and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. That's a shock, isn't it? I mean, sometimes, you know, not everyone's wedding night is, do you know what I mean? But this is a little different than that, to be fair. He wakes up with another one. What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the elder one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Jacob did so. He finished a week with Leah and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also 14 years, oh my goodness. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. His love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. What can we learn from this story? There are two people who are disappointed. Number one, Jacob's disappointed, okay? He wakes up in the morning and he thinks, oh my God, this is not what I work for. I wonder how many of you have ever said that. I didn't get what I worked for. I worked seven years for you for something. We had a deal and this is what I got. I wonder how many of us, maybe at work, maybe you're not a Christian and you think, you know, I work for that and I was, and I was given something. I didn't get what I worked for. That's not fair. And I'm disappointed. Maybe if you're a Christian this morning, you think, you know, God, I worked really hard and I've done this and I've done that and here's what I got. It wasn't what I worked for. It wasn't in the script. It wasn't part of the deal. But also look at Leah's disappointment because she got what she didn't deserve, didn't she really? I didn't get what I deserved. Actually, what I deserved was the love of a husband, but what I got was something different. Very easy for Leah to say, this is not fair. She was part of a deception. She was part of this whole deception thing. It wasn't her fault. She did nothing other than be there and she became part of this deception. She was a victim. Imagine how she felt. You know, one when she wakes up in the morning and, you know, she just wants the love of her husband. And the husband says, what? You're the wrong sister. Imagine how she felt. And then, and then look at what happens then in, in verse 31. The Lord saw that Leah was not loved. So he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. You know, for she said that the Lord has seen my misery. Then she has another son and another son. And this is how to handle disappointment or not how to handle disappointment. Because what she does is she tries to handle a disappointment by trying to control and manipulate the situation. She's trying to get her husband to love her. It's a legitimate thing to, to have love of a husband, but she's trying to do it by doing things like, Look, I've given you kids, now you'll love me. I've given you another kid, now you'll love me. And it doesn't work. And, and it's made me think, you know, I wonder if sometimes 
For even those of us that say we're followers of Christ, do we ever get into a situation with God where we say, hey God, come on, I've done this for you. I've done that for you. I've done the other. Come on. And do we treat God a little bit like a dream maker and a wish fulfiller rather than a God who we just surrender our life to and say, God, I don't understand why sometimes bad things happen to good people and God's people, but they do, and I want to love you anyway. And I think what people do in terms of handling disappointment is that often we suppress it, we stuff it down, you know, try and pretend it isn't there and then it leaks out. Or we express it negatively, try to manipulate or vent it. Or we can confess it to God and ask God to help us to handle it. So how do we handle disappointment in such a way that we can live beyond the thing? There's something amazing that happens in one of these verses. In verse 35, it says this. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, which means praise. Then she stopped having children. Something happens in her outlook, okay, where she says, Do you know what? This time I'll praise the Lord. Those seven words changed her life. So this time, I will change. Let me give you three things, okay? Time's against us this morning. Let me give you three things that I think are so important in handling disappointment. I've had disappointment and have disappointment in my life, okay? You have. You have it. You carry it right now. Can we live beyond the disappointment? Absolutely, we can. But how are we going to do it? The first thing is this. We need to get a new approach. See, she says, this time. So in other words, the other times I've tried this, This time, I'm going to try something different. How many of you know the definition of insanity, you've heard it lots of times recently, is doing the same things and expecting different results. So she says, listen, I've tried that. It don't really work. So this time, I'm going to try something different. Wouldn't that be amazing if whenever you get disappointment come in your life, and some of you might think, I haven't got any disappointment. This is really depressing. Well, you will get some, so hold on to it. Wouldn't it be amazing if when we get disappointment, we say, hey, rather than do this and rather than do that and rather than do the other, which doesn't work, this time I'll take a different approach. When you take a look at this violinist who is doing a violin solo and he's being listened to and there's an intrusion which could lead to disappointment, but he turns it around to a whole different outcome. Take a look. Imagine just taking, and I know most of our disappointments, the big ones, are not like a phone going off, my goodness. They're much bigger than that. But could we take what happens to us? And a new approach is this time, I'm going to try something different. And you see, with a new approach, also, secondly, comes a new focus. Because she says, this time, I will praise the Lord. So this time, I'm going to build a relationship with God aside from my circumstances, not because of them. 
says, yes, I've got this disappointment. Yes, I've lost a loved one. Yes, I've lost a job. Yes, my marriage did this. Yes, my health is this. Yes, this friend did this. Yes, all of these things are real. But this time, I'm going to focus on my relationship with God aside from my circumstances, not because of them. Wouldn't that be amazing? A new focus. And then finally, a new direction. Now she's moving forwards beyond the thing, beyond the wall, beyond the disappointment. And I want to say to you as we draw to a close, in your disappointment this morning, I want to encourage you to look beyond yourself. And you might think, oh, that's not very pastoral. Do you know what? It's the most pastoral thing I can say to you. In your disappointment, look beyond yourself. When we were coming back from Skodra, uh, and it was late at night, and we were, we were heading back down the, the road, and um, I was in the front of the car with Erna and Andy and Pete were fast asleep as usual, snoring away in the back there in stereo. Yep, I'm over it. Um, but um, as, as we were driving back, I was talking to her about what she's going through in her life and some of the bigotry and prejudice from other male leaders in the church and the community was horrendous. And some of the stuff that she's had to put up with, let alone trying to bring up two kids and lead a church and reach out to all these families. And I said to her, what keeps you sustained on the inside? What keeps you so strong and so resilient? She says, one of the things is this, I know that my life is not about me, it's about other people. He says, and I might not ever see it in my life, but if I can break open something for other women in this culture, then it's worth it. I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. You know, because your life is not about you. So in your disappointment, and she's disappointed about what's happened to her every day of her life. She misses her husband every day of her life. But in her disappointment, she's looking beyond herself and trying to reach out beyond herself. So maybe in your disappointment, in this run up to Christmas, rather than retreating into yourself, maybe you could look out beyond yourself. One of the ways we can do that is inviting someone to the Christmas event. You think, oh, okay, can I do that? Yes, you can. You can do that. That's one of the ways, a very simple and an easier way that you can look beyond yourself. But maybe there's other ways over these next few weeks that you could look out beyond yourself. And as you look out beyond yourself, even in your disappointment, what will happen is before you know where you are, you'll be moving beyond the wall. You will be beyond that thing. And the disappointment will still be there. Of course it will. And the pain of it will still be there. But you'll be living beyond it because it is possible to live beyond the thing. Amen. So in your disappointment, look beyond yourself. And then finally, in your disappointment, encounter Jesus. You know, there's, there's, there's an amazing story that happens after the death and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus has, has died and has been resurrected and he starts appearing to different people. But of course, they, don't all, they didn't have Facebook and Twitter, so it wasn't all viral. So they had to wait until they actually saw him before they could actually know that he was alive. And there were two men that were on a road, and the Bible says it's, it was called the road to Emmaus. It was heading to this place called Emmaus. And they were followers of Jesus, and they were disappointed. I mean, their wall of disappointment was massive. Jesus had died, and he was buried, and he was gone. And then this fella comes up alongside them, and he talks to them along the road. They don't recognize who it is, because it's Jesus. But then when they get to the end, they stay in a house, and they have a meal together. And the Bible says this, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So in their disappointment, he comes alongside them. He encounters them. He eventually opens their eyes and their hearts are burning within them. That's what Jesus can do. What I love about God is that he comes into our moments of disappointment. He can open our eyes. Our hearts can be on fire again. And even though the disappointment might still be there, although it wasn't in that case, what happens is that we change. 
That in that disappointment, we begin to believe again that we can live beyond the thing. Amen? We can live beyond the thing. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. We're going to pray. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And it's going to be served to you from the back there. They're going to come and they're going to give you bread and a little pot of juice there. Just a symbolic of the blood and the, uh, and the body of Jesus. And we're going to do what they did with Jesus, those men on the road to Emmaus. They just sat around and they took a meal together. And, and, and as we do that, we're going to worship and we're going to sing. But, um, but before I do that, this song that I've asked the guys to sing, there's a line in this song, which is this, I lift my hands to believe again. I lift my hands to believe again. And I, I just really felt God say to me as I'm preparing this, that's the line that many people need to respond to. I lift my hands to believe again. In other words, to believe that it is possible to live beyond the thing. It is possible to live beyond the disappointment that you're carrying. Now, I'm not asking you to go and live beyond it. I'm asking you just to say to God, God, I believe that it is possible. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I believe it's possible. And I want to take that step to say I believe it's possible. So why don't we pray? Father, thank you that you are an amazing God. We love you so much. And Lord, I pray that in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would really speak to hearts and lives. In a moment, we're going to eat, we're going to drink, we're going to celebrate your goodness to us. But God, in the midst of our disappointment, God, we want to believe again that it is possible to live beyond the thing. God, for those of us that, that feel that actually that's not true and, and our, our mind says to us, you know, our head and our heart aren't quite stacking up right now. God, I believe that you'd create faith here in this place. It, it, it's faith that pleases you. It's faith that changes situations. It's faith that changes outlook. It's faith that causes us to move. It's faith, Lord God, that, that, that causes us to go beyond the wall. And God, I pray that even this morning that you would give us the courage and the heart and the faith to say, Lord, it is possible to believe again. So why don't we stand together, folks, let's stand. And just while we've still got our eyes closed, what I want you to do this is I want you to respond and all of our eyes are closed and no one's looking at you. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front, but all I'm gonna ask you to do is this. If this is spoken to you today and you know you're carrying disappointment which is shaping your life and you say Lord if only I want to go beyond the wall but I just can't do it but you believe today do you know I think it is I think it is possible it's possible and I want to ask you just to raise your hands right where you are we're going to sing in a minute I lift my hands to believe again so if that's you why don't you just do that this morning thank you Lord thank you Father I want to thank you for all these folks here lifting their hands before you. God, they're not saying that they're right going to do it now, but they're saying that they believe it is possible, that it's possible. And so, Lord, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you meet them in these moments, even as we sing this song, even as we eat and drink. God, even as we finish today and pray, God, I pray that you would stir faith in our hearts, that this step that we're taking is the first step of a process in going and living beyond the thing. Help us, I pray. Bless them. Holy Spirit, would you open up opportunities? Would you open up circumstances? Would you give them courage now to keep moving forward? Lord, I call on a new approach this time. Lord, I call on a new focus. I will praise the Lord. I call on a new direction. God, when we're tempted to retreat to the old, God, keep us going forward to the new, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.